Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. My name's Chris, and um, I'm going to have a look at, with you at that passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you've still got your Bible open, use it. If, you, if you've got it on your telephone, make sure it's the Bible you're looking at on the telephone. God knows. I might not. As we look at this together, I'm going to pray now so that we'll be able to focus in on what this passage is teaching us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that as we look at your word together, you would teach us. So please use your spirit to take these words and to write them into our hearts so that our minds might be changed. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy is the last letter we have uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it, as far as we know, from prison. Prison in the ancient world is not like prison of today, uh, quite different really, in that when you were in prison in ancient Rome, uh, you were not cared for um, unless someone came to care for you. And so in the New Testament, we find an encouragement in a number of places to go and visit people who are in prison. Uh, why? Because without care, without someone looking after them, uh, they would be left. And so uh, you often read in Paul's writing about someone who's come to visit him in prison. Uh, they've brought things to him. You notice, even in this passage, he talks about, um, when he, as he writes to Timothy, to bring, bring parchments, bring the books, especially the, you know, the ones he wants. Because And a cloak, by the way, is probably freezing cold where he is. Um, because if someone doesn't come to bring you these things, you don't get them. Even food. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of prisons in the ancient world where you were not fed unless someone cared for you enough to come and bring you food. And if you think that that's unusual, there are many prisons in the world today that are as brutal as that. Uh, there are many in places in the world today where if you don't know someone, uh, you'll be left to struggle and suffer without. Paul writes this letter, though, and it appears from what he says, particularly in this chapter, that his life is going to end. Uh, situation is becoming more dire, and these are his last words. There are some commentators who've read this, studied this, and written about this, and have said that, here are a number of scattered ideas that Paul is grabbing and putting down on the page as quickly as he can because he knows his time is limited and there are only a few things that he can say. Uh, any of you who've remembered the good old days of the telephone when it was plugged into the wall, remember that? Um, um, when the telephone call was an STD. I'm going to have to explain that at the next service, that STD was a type of telephone call. And how when you made that call, you had to rush around because you only had so much time. And if you heard the beep, 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 you knew that you had to talk quickly. I can remember Christmas when we would ring Nana and the phone would go and you'd you get everything out. And you hang up the phone and you quickly get away. And then afterwards would be the postmortem on the telephone call. Why didn't you say this? Or why did you say it like that? Why didn't you mention the other thing? Well, some people think that this passage is Paul's last call. And so there's just a number of ideas that are thrown together. And that's largely because if you look at chapter 4 on its own, it seems that's what's happening. But that's not really the way it comes together. 
Chapter 4 was not part of what Paul wrote. Let me explain. That is, he wrote the text, but the number 4 was put in there by one of the archbishops of Canterbury a long, long time ago. Um, The verses were put in there um, by a French printer. And what it's done is it's broken up the flow of the letter. And so if you've got your Bible open, you'll see the connections go a little bit further back. Uh, In fact, I think probably if you pick it up from about verse 16, you'll start to get a little bit more of a feel for the direction he's moving in when he gets into chapter 4. But it is true that the text bounces around a bit. So because you've got it open and you're now looking, and I can see, it's funny, you know, a lot of people think because you're in rows looking at the backs of heads that you're kind of invisible, but not to the preacher. I can see all of you. I know when you're awake and when you're not, Craig Taylor, and I will be, I'll be checking to see when the sunglasses come out and go on. But here in, in this chapter, you've got all these different things, like come soon before winter if you can. In verse 9 and 21. Bring my cloak from Troas. Um, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. And, and nobody showed up to support me at my defence. Probably a trial where he was, he was on, on, up there before a judge. And he was on his own. Completely left. Greet my dear friends, Prisca and Aquila, in verse 19. I had to leave Trophimus, sick at Miletus. Then verse 21, all the brothers greet you. It seems like there's a a lot of different ideas thrown together. But look at these verses because I think here's a climax, if there is one. It's in verses 17 and 18. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. I think the overall impact that Paul wants everyone to hear in this is that the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. What a great thing to hear, isn't it? Whether you're Timothy and and the baton is being passed to you by the apostle, or whether you're just a Christian who's sitting here tonight, to know this promise that the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And you know that that's true because the Lord promises he'll do it. And not only that, the Apostle Paul knows he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What an incredible promise that we have. No wonder people want to get baptised when they come to understand this. They want to completely changed their life and they want people to know that. They want something that can be an outward demonstration of what has happened. And that's what Paul is saying. There's an incredible promise here that the Lord will be with you, but it comes in a context. And that is this context. Ministry will be hard. There will be all kinds of trials. You need to watch out for people. You need to beware of others. And you need to be certain to stick to the message. Don't fall for popularity. Don't go for what other people might want to hear. Instead, keep to the truth. Ministry will be hard, and yet I want to say this to you, in spite of its hardness, Jesus will stand by you. That's the take-home message for tonight. If you're a note-taker, write that one down. 
Jesus will stand by you. Paul is saying, don't give up. Here's what you need to do. First point, you need to preach the word. Look at the beginning of chapter 4. It's a very, very serious charge. He has just said that all scripture comes from God. And it's going to be useful. And then he says to Timothy, preach it. But it's an incredibly serious charge. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, you see what he's doing? He's calling witnesses to hear this charge. And the witnesses he calls are none other than than God. In view of what he's done, the one who will judge the living and the dead, the one who came to earth, the one who introduced, ushered in the kingdom. That's the one you're before, and that's why I'm going to give you a charge. Not long ago, um, Mal York commenced his ministry here, and we had a service, and I read out a charge. And I remember each time I read through the charge that we use at a commencement service, I'm reminded of the promises that we ask people to make when they get ordained. And each time I do it, and there are clergy in the room, they come to me afterwards and they say, wow, that's sobering, isn't it, to be reminded of those promises we've made. Well, have a look at the sober charge that is here. Before God, in the presence of Jesus, here's the charge. Preach the word. Preach. Be prepared in season and out of season. Stick to this. Use... Your, your message should correct, rebuke and encourage. Well, that's why I say the chapter break is an inconvenient thing because it goes back to verse, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 where you find the same thing. What does Scripture do? It will correct, it will rebuke, it will train, it will teach. So what is he to preach? The Word. Use the Scriptures. Explain the truth from the Bible. That's what you're to do. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to pass on. That's what we're called to do. To know the scriptures and to stick with them. And why? Because there will be people who will give up. Stick with the scriptures. Many years ago, I was at a conference where the preacher was exhorting us to do just this. Get to know the Bible. Stick with it and share it with someone else. And the best way to know it is to read it every day. And the best way to remember to read it every day is to make this promise. No Bible, no breakfast. And, and he, he said it three or four times so that the earworm found its way into my head and it was gnawing away, no Bible, no breakfast. And then he said, I want you to covenant now. Stand where you are and make this covenant publicly that you will not have breakfast Unless you read the Bible, I just sat there. There's no way I could make that promise. I I just know myself that when I get up in the morning, there's every chance I'll get into brekkie first. But you know what happened? That rat bag of a preacher, that earworm bugged me. And I reckon I was in my late teens when he said it, and I'm not in my late teens now. And every morning when I go out to get breakfast, if the Bible hasn't been read, I have this pang of guilt I don't know that guilt is the greatest motivator. But it's a great reminder of how important it is to know the scriptures. 
So I'm going to make it bug you tomorrow morning when the wheat picks or the muesli or whatever it is that you get out, when it's in the bowl, ask yourself, have I read the Bible yet? When am I going to read it? When am I going to look at it? When am I going to get to know it? Because I tell you this, if you don't know what it says, how will you know how to correct the way you live? How will you know when you've strayed from the footsteps of Jesus? How will you know when those you love are drifting away from him? Unless you know the word, which is why he says to Timothy, know the word. Look at verses 3 and 4. A time is going to come when people are not going to put up with sound doctrine and instead, to suit their own desires, they'll get people around them that will tell them whatever they want to hear. They'll turn away from the truth. And I can assure you, it's been happening ever since Paul penned those words. It's still happening today. Get to know the word. There's a good chance that where you work, or maybe even in your street, you're the only person who really knows the scriptures. How will others know unless you tell them? And what we have to say, if you don't know them, get to know the scriptures. But it will hurt to stand up for Jesus, to hold on to the truth, will hurt. There's a cost, but there is a crown. Listen to Paul again. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Another incredible promise. In his final words, he's saying, keep at it, keep going, stick with it. Things will get tricky. Ministry will be hard. It will be. But don't give up. Ministry will be hard. In spite of all its hardness, Jesus will stand by you. You'll be tempted to grab all sorts of things that will comfort you in these times. When you find it hard, and maybe I'm telling you what's already happened, when you've tried to explain to someone, when you've tried to share with someone, and they've just rejected it, maybe even rejected you, maybe ridiculed you, maybe even physically harmed you. It gets tough, doesn't it? I think that's why Paul then says, listen, Timothy, look at verses 9 to 10. Do your best to come quickly because Demas, Demas, you remember Demas? He's left me. He's actually mentioned in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Demas is there as one of his partners, one of the ones who's involved in the mission. Where's he now? He's left him. He's gone to Thessalonica. Look in the middle of the same verse in verse 10. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, which uh, if you know the ancient world, that's Croatia. Luke alone is with me. Once there was a team working together, relying on each other. That great encouragement you have when Christians are working together, it's great, isn't it? Paul says, you know what? It's all fallen apart. It's all fallen apart. Verses 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith, he's done me harm. Watch out for him. He opposed our message. 
Literally, he opposed our word. So there's not only loneliness on the inside, there are attacks coming his way from the outside. And chapter 4, verse 16, probably the saddest sentence in the letter. At my first defence, no one came to stand by me. Everybody deserted me. Even Luke, who was with him, wasn't there when Paul really wanted him. What does this tell us? When we grab hold of things to give us comfort, even when it's relationships, be very careful. They will let you down. When you are challenged for telling people the truth that are in the scriptures and you get, a, you get opposed, be careful of what you grab hold of for comfort. The Apostle Paul is saying that all those who are close to him have let him down, but not, verses 18 and 19, the Lord who has stood by my side who's given me strength. The Lord will rescue me. The Lord will bring me safely to his everlasting heavenly kingdom. How well do you know him? I'll tell you how well you really know him. It's how well you know what he's said and what he's done. How well is that? Well, it would be how well do you know the scriptures? Not, not, Not through an intellectual engagement, but through opening yourself up to a relationship. That relationship begins by listening to him, by speaking with him. When I was 10, I'd been given a Bible, just like the family tonight were given a Bible. I was given a Bible when I turned 10. Um, It was a kind of a rite of passage in the Edwards family. And so I started reading it. It was a King James Version. I started reading it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, at age 10, reading what sounded to me like some sort of Shakespearean English, well, I I kind of got bits of it. I understood it enough. But it really, by about chapter 6 or 7, I'd lost it. So mum and dad bought me Scripture Union notes. Remember those? They're sort of a a Bible app on paper. And it it explained the passage. Took me to John's Gospel. John begins by saying, here's Jesus and he's meeting people. And he invited them into a friendship. And the notes, I remember, said, if you want to be one of Jesus' friends, like Andrew, like Peter, then what you need to do is you need to treat him like a friend. You need to listen to him and you need to speak with him. Brothers and sisters, that was simple for a 10-year-old to get. The way I listened to him was by reading the Bible. The way I spoke to him was by saying my prayers. But you know what I've found as I get older and older? The number of people who don't listen and don't speak to him. So I want to challenge you. It's a very simple challenge. It's based on these last words of Paul. If you want to know how the Lord will stand at your side and give you strength, then I want to challenge you to really get to know his word. And tomorrow morning, before you have breakfast, to read your Bible. And I really hope I bug you at least until Wednesday. (laughs) Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, for in it we find Jesus. And I thank you for this word from Paul, who from a prison in desperation encouraged his favourite young son to stick with the word to pass on the word so that others would know Jesus. May we know him. Amen.